Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Good evening, church. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was just given the opportunity to teach this week, and uh, I said, you know what, I'm just going to take two or three. <laughs> So you're stuck with me for a couple of weeks at least. <laughs> so uh, when Ryan, you know, offered me this opportunity and I just started praying about, God, what do you have for us? What do you want me to bring? Um, he reminded me of a study that we did in our ladies meeting, which was um, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. So, you know, it's Old Testament. It's a little different. We tend to stay mostly in the New Testament and the Gospels and the letters to the church, um, but there's actually a lot that can be gleaned out of the Old Testament, out of these stories. They're very, very um, detailed stories, and a lot of those things uh, illustrate New Covenant realities to us, so uh, we don't want to leave them out, right? right? Okay, so just to do a little bit of an intro into the book of Daniel, um, I, as I was kind of going back over my notes and looking through things again, it just started stirring in me this word, you know, they were taken into captivity, but there's something, as I studied out that word captivity, about the word captivate. So, you know, as I studied out the word captivate, it's more in relation to the soul. To be captivated by something um, is to be fascinated by it, to be attracted to it, uh, it would capture your attention, and it's, in the Greek, it literally means like hang on every word. So it's something that you just are in awe of, basically. You know, it, it kind of draws you in. It's something that draws you in, and it can be a good thing or it can be a not good thing. Like uh, in uh, Proverbs, there's a talk of the, the woman of folly, basically, and it talks about her being captivating. She lures men in by captivating them with her, you know, looks or charm or whatever. Um, and it's obviously deceitful. It's, it's drawing them in to the wrong path. So, you know, what captivates our hearts, what captivates our minds, our emotions, it draws us in. Um, we just need to be careful of it. And, and, you know, from the very beginning of time, from the garden with Adam and Eve, Satan has had a plan, has had a mission to captivate the hearts, the minds of God's children, to draw us away from God. And so, of course, during Daniel's time, this is happening just as it is in this day and age. Um, you know, the hearts that are held captive... Uh, they're held captive by what captivated them, and this was much more important than physical captivity. Okay, physical captivity cannot affect what captivates your heart. It cannot control what has already captured your heart. Um, so even though, you know, it's a very pressurized situation to be in captivity, uh, really what happens in captivity is dependent on what has captured your heart. Um, so that's what the case was for the kingdom of Judah that was moved into captivity into Babylon. Now for Daniel and his friends, their physical captivity was full of the favor and grace of God, 
But there were many others that were taken into captivity that didn't have the same story. They didn't have these victories like Daniel and his friends had. Um, Daniel had obviously, now this is, I'm giving you a preview here, he had obviously been so captivated by his God that he completely gave himself over to it. He surrendered himself. He submitted himself fully devoted to pleasing God that even in that pressurized situation of captivity, that the captivity didn't control him and it didn't cause him to compromise. So he's a great example to us of how we behave, how we behave in situations that are not ideal, how we behave when there's governments that are uh, not godly. You know, these are examples that we can glean from Daniel. Um, and the whole way like, I want to give a bit of an introduction because before Daniel ever made it to Babylon, um, God was preparing him. He was preparing a way for him, and he was equipping him, putting things in him to equip him so that he'd be ready for this experience. Uh, you know, the southern kingdom of Judah is where Daniel grew up. Um, now, there were two kingdoms of Israel, the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah was where Jerusalem was. The northern kingdom had already been wiped off the map. Okay, so now it's down to the southern kingdom, and these are the last few years that the southern kingdom was even in existence. Um, Daniel was born and raised during the reign of a good king. Now, during this time, there were good, bad, good, bad. It was like a constant tug of war um, in the leadership of Judah, and it was pulling people one direction or another. It was making it real easy to fall in and worship God and do things his way or is making it really, really difficult for the remnant that was always there to stay pressed in and to stay engaged with the things of God. Um, but Daniel was born, you know, God um, ordained his birth during the time of Josiah, who was a king, a righteous king who came into power at a very young age, um, and he made loads of reforms in Judah. He uh, he took the nation from being so far in the ditch <laughs> and he brought it, he restored it back to being godly, to following after the things of God. And, you know, just to give some background, where did that come from? Why was Israel so, or why was Judah so far in the ditch? It's because mostly um, from Josiah's grandfather, which was Manasseh. Okay, so Manasseh had been a, an evil king for 55 years. He was in power. And I was just going to read y'all a little bit of text from 2 Kings to give you a description so we can see this is where the nation of Judah was just a few years before they fell into Babylonian hands. This was a big reason they fell into Babylonian hands. Okay, so uh, this is from the Message Translation, uh, 2 Kings chapter 21. And starting, let's see, I don't even know what verse it is in the message. It's divided up funny, but it says, In God's judgment, he was a bad king, an evil king. This is Manasseh. He was an evil king. He reintroduced all the moral rot and spiritual corruption that had been scoured from the country when God disposed or dispossessed the pagan nations in favor of the children of Israel. He rebuilt all the sex and religion shrines that his father Hezekiah had torn down. He built altars and phallic images for the sex god Baal and the sex goddess Asherah. 
exactly what Ahaz, king of Israel, had done. He worshipped the cosmic powers taking orders from the constellations. He even built these pagan altars in the temple of God, the very Jerusalem temple dedicated exclusively by God's decree to God's name. And he built shrines to the cosmic powers, placed them in both courtyards of the temple of God. He burned his own son in a sacrificial offering, which would have been to the god Moloch. He practiced black magic and fortune-telling. He held seances and consulted spirits from the underworld. Much evil. In God's judgment, a career in evil. And God was angry. As a last straw, he placed the carved image of the sex goddess Asherah in the temple of God, a flagrant and provocative violation of God's well-known statement to both David and Solomon, in this temple and in the city of Jerusalem, my choice out of all the tribes of Israel, I place my name exclusively and forever. Never again will I let my people Israel wander off from this land I gave to their ancestors. But here's the condition. They must keep everything I've commanded and the instructions my servant Moses passed on to them. But the people didn't listen. Manasseh led them off the path of righteousness into practices of evil, even exceeding the evil, <clears throat> the evil of the pagan nations that God had earlier destroyed. So as God had cleared the way, given his people this land, here at the end of the kingdom of Judah, they have come full circle and have fallen into even more evil practices than what was there when they started. That is the degree <laughs> of you know, sin that this nation had fallen into and how far they had fallen from God. So then you have um, you know, Manasseh's son only reigned two years. He was also evil, but he was so evil that his own household servants took his life. So here comes Josiah, age eight years old, just a child, put onto the throne of Judah. And he had a big job ahead of him, but there was obviously a godly influence. You know, I don't know, we don't know uh, if that came from, you know, when there's that bad of... Uh, that much downward motion in a nation where it falls so far into sin and it falls so far away from God that it stirs something in some people to think, I don't want to be a part of this. You know, we don't know if, the, if it um, stirred up some of the people in the nation, if that just that remnant decided to be bold and come out strong and have an influence. But this king, uh, Josiah, was brought up with godliness. He was brought up with righteousness. And when he started doing things in the kingdom, he started doing them God's way. He wanted to restore the temple. So he had people go back in to rebuild the temple to make it what it was meant to be. And as they're restoring the temple, lo and behold, they find something very important, the book of the law. <laughs> Where was it all these years? Nobody knew. <laughs> so ironic as it is that the book of the law was lost in the temple and nobody knew where it was. Like that is the state that the people were in. That is the state that the temple was in, that the priesthood was in. That's pretty bad. <laughs> but you know, it did, it just made me think about in this modern church in the day and age that we live, you know, there's so many churches that you don't even need a Bible. 
Like you're not studying the word. You're going in, you're getting entertained, you're getting a motivational message, and you don't even dig in and know what's in here. So I think that's something that we need to, you know, just allow to wake up in us. Like there's all these parallels between what was going on with God's people then and what's still going on with God's people now. And, but we've got to have eyes to see it. You know, even the things that they were installing during Manasseh's time that were very sexual, we think, oh, nobody puts, you know, a idol in their church and Asherah pole or whatever. Nobody does that sort of thing nowadays. No, but what did they do? They compromise to sexual perversion, okay? There's leaders in ministry who are falling into adultery in other sins. There's, you know, people on, for some reason, it's always the worship team, <laughs> who think they're rock stars and, you know, act like the world in promiscuity. You know, there's all these compromises going in in the church, and no, it's not a pole set up in the front of the church that people are worshiping, but it is compromise. It's sexual perversion. It's getting into the church. You know, so the same things that were compromising uh, this nation that supposedly was God's people is the same thing that we're still dealing with in this day and age. Now, as King Josiah started all these reforms, and as he's making changes and he's getting things right, he reinstated um, the Passover feast. Hadn't been done like that ever, they said. He did the best Passover feast. He got all this stuff going again. Um, but as much as he was able to do for the nation, there was something that had to happen in each and every heart. You know, the hearts of the people that had been so captivated by these worldly ways, by all these perverted and, you know, disgusting practices that had been brought in, those hearts had to be cleansed and purged just like the temple. You know, the temple had to be cleansed and purged during that time, but the hearts of these people, that was up to them. That was their choice. And that's something that King Josiah, as much as he could do as a king, he couldn't go into each individual heart and, and force them to do it. It was up to them. And so, you know, one of the unfortunate um, fallouts of that is that many people were just going through the religious motions without having their hearts changed. So that's a temptation of empty religion is to give that outer appearance of godliness, but then there's no fruit to it. There's no power. You know, it's the same thing that Ryan's been bringing up in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where, you know, they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power of, they're not walking in that power, they're not letting that power change them. And that's the same thing that was happening during this time. Um, that empty religion, same thing Jesus was dealing with, what was it, 600 years later or so? Uh, when Jesus walked the earth, you know, here he's calling out the religious leaders' empty tombs, you know, whitewashed tombs, that there's deadness on the inside. Now they're given the appearance on the outside, but on the inside there's a deadness. And so um, it's the same thing that was happening during this time, that as much as the king wanted things to go in the right direction, he didn't have control of everyone's heart. And unfortunately... Uh, the next king that came up, which was very short-lived, um, went back to the ways of evil. Um, but this was right around the time that the Babylonians came in and took captive the people of Judah. So, um, you know, one of the ways God prepared Daniel through prophecy was from Jeremiah. So this was the time Jeremiah the prophet was living. Um, he gave a very specific 
prophecy about the length of the captivity are going to be there 70 years. Just be prepared. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. This is what's happening. And then once they were in captivity, he also gave some very specific instructions on how to live in captivity, which is found in Jeremiah 29, which everyone loves Jeremiah 29, 11. But when you read the context of the whole thing, I mean, it's still a wonderful verse for us today. But it is interesting to read through it as the letter Jeremiah was writing to the people in exile. So we will go through that as we get into um, Daniel a bit further. We'll see what Jeremiah was writing to instruct the people. Um, you know, I was just thinking about as these, uh, as these young people, especially like Daniel's age, he was thought to be a teenager, as he's carted off to Babylon, you know, he's literally leaving behind everything he knows um, he's being stripped of everything, everything he's known about worship, everything he's known about um, coming before God and honoring God in the temple. You know, it's all being stripped away from him. And uh, it, it really brought up kind of the way some of the things we've been through as a church lately, like, you know, as we've had these restrictions in the past year, there's been a lot of things that have been stripped back from us. Like we didn't maybe, we couldn't come into our building to worship the way that we're used to worshiping. Um, you know, there've been restrictions on people gathering together and uh, in the midst of that, in that stripping back, there's a great opportunity. For Daniel, there's a great opportunity. For us, there was a great opportunity, still is. Um, but just to go back to the basics, to the simplicity of that relationship with God, that even when, you know, we can't come to the temple, to the church to worship, that we still worship. It is still the, the center of our lives. It's our everything. You know, we don't allow things to fall just because they don't look the way we're used to them looking. So as these people are being carted off to Babylon, a lot of the stuff that they took for granted is now being stripped away from them. So it's really going to change their perspective. Uh, so I just want to start reading um, a few verses here in G uh, Daniel chapter 1. We'll just get started with the first few verses. Um, and I don't know how long. Maybe we'll come in and out of it for a while. But... <laughs> Anyway, there's so much in here. These first six chapters are wonderful. So, uh, okay, so Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Those were the vessels from the temple. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. 
and the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Okay, so these are the very famous characters that we're always really well aware of, um, but just wanna take a few notes here. Um, first of all, the qualifications. You know, these were uh, young men of nobility, but they still had to meet these very, very strict qualifications that the king had in order for them to be put into this kind of elite program within the palace. So not everyone, certainly very few of the people being taken from Judah were put into this program that these young men were put into. Um, but these words that it used, most of it, I mean, there's a little bit about their appearance, but most of it is based upon their education, that they're skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, um, and competent. So these are things that have to do with how they were taught, how they were educated uh, in Judah. See, in Judah, they would have been educated by that book of law that King Josiah found. That would have been part of their education, as well as other texts that taught them how to please God. Okay, so that was a big part of their education. And because they knew what was pleasing to God, they were able to identify what was right or what was wrong. Um, we have to understand that knowledge is a huge part of you know, how we start out in knowing God. Um, Hosea, the prophet, said, my people perish or are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If these young men didn't have the knowledge of God's word, they wouldn't even be able to identify if what they were being placed into would be something that was bad or not. You know, and, and here we're gonna see in verse eight that there's a problem that arises. Okay, so it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So we start out here in verse 8, Daniel resolved. That's a highly important word, resolved. He made up his mind, he purposed in his heart, he determined within himself what did he purpose in his heart and determine? That he would not defile himself. He would not make unclean or pollute himself. Now, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, discussion among the uh, scholars about why you know, he felt this way, why he felt that it would be defiling. Um, it could have been because the food obviously was not ceremonially ceremonially, uh, ceremonially, <laughs> that was tough, clean in accordance to Jewish standards. Um, it also could have been uh, because it had been offered to idols, which was highly likely. Um, but, you know, another point that I liked was that by avoiding the luxuries of the king's tables, Daniel was looking to avoid being ensnared by the temptations of the culture. So he was seeing beyond just the natural of the food, and he was seeing it as this is the, the culture of this nation that I don't want to get sucked into. I don't want to be tempted by these luxuries that, yes, in the natural they look wonderful. I'm sure they were very appealing, especially when you've been, just taken this long journey from Judah to get there. But, you know, he saw through it. He saw a bigger purpose and a bigger plan in it. So he refused 
he did not want to defile himself. Um, also, by restricting himself, that was a constant reminder that his source was God and not the king. You know, so by restricting and not allowing all of these huge portions and all of these rich foods, his source was going to be the Lord. Um, and he would constantly be reminded of it on a daily basis. So not only does he purpose in his heart, he resolves, but then he does something. He follows through. He acts upon it. See, that's something when we resolve, we're going to do something. I mean, I'm going to do this. How many of you had thought that? I am going to get this done. Yes. And then you didn't quite follow through with it. You know, that's something that we really see the character and integrity of Daniel here and that he resolved to do something and then he follows through with it. It says he asked. It says he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Um, He went respectfully through the right channels. He did not approach in anger or disgust. He just simply explained, I don't want to be defiled. You know, he spoke the truth. And he let that stand. Uh, Verse 9, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Okay, so as Daniel stepped out in faith, believing this is God's will, this is how God wants me to do something, I'm going to step out and ask for it, then God gave Daniel favor. This favor was not because Daniel was so good, it was God's favor upon his life because he was close to God. Okay? So the favor Daniel received flowed right out of his right relationship with God. Now, verses 10 through 13 give us the um, response from the king, or from his chief, says, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So the eunuch feared for his life because it was his responsibility to make sure these men were of the highest quality, that their uh, bodies were fit, they were looking good, their minds were sharp. You know, it was his responsibility to make sure these guys were taken care of. And he certainly didn't want off with his head kind of thing going on. So, um, So Daniel responds with this respectful once again, Here he is in the face of a government who is not in line with the way he believes, but he's respectful, okay? So he responds with a suggestion that is full of wisdom and integrity. This plan would satisfy the eunuch, and it would keep the eunuch safe, so the eunuch's not putting himself at risk that, you know, Daniel and his friends are going to turn out, uh, you know, fainting in the king's presence because they're so... Uh, underfed or something, but this plan, you know, would also allow Daniel and his friends to stay undefiled. Give us a test here. 
You know, let, let this be a test that we're going to try this, and if it works, we'll keep on with it, and if not, and you know what, they knew it would work. <laughs> there was no fear on the side of Daniel that this wasn't going to work. Um, so here we see in verse 14 through 16. So he listened to them in this manner, matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So the truth manifested. You know, uh, Daniel and his friends knew man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's their sustenance. That's what they're relying on. And obedience looked good on them. You know, obedience had a great effect on their physical bodies, it manifested what was going on in their spirit, how they were trusting God, standing in faith, walking in obedience, it manifested to the outward appearance of them. So that's where we're gonna uh, stop today with the the text. Um, We'll finish up Daniel chapter one next Wednesday and get into chapter two, probably get through chapter two because it's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's kind of, we need to do it all as a whole, but um, we'll see how far we go from there. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to give Ryan at least a, a decent break. Um, but, you know, I just want to take a minute here to close in prayer. Thank you all so much for coming, for being here in person. Um, we're just thrilled to, to be back in our building and to get to see you guys face to face. So, you know, we're just thankful for all of you, and we want to see these things that were growing up, Daniel and his friends, the things that they were um, learning as they were in captivity, we want to see these things start manifesting in the body here. We want to see our body start growing and learning and learning how to live when the culture is against us, when the government is against us. How do we stand firm and how do we live obedient lives and lives that are not just getting by, you know, but they're lives that are prospering and thriving, even in a time when the government's, you know, putting restrictions on us. So I think it's going to be, you know, some powerful truths that are going to come out of this, and I expect that we're going to grow from it. So if y'all just want to join me in prayer, Father God, we thank you so much for your word this evening. Thank you that it went forth and it accomplished everything you had for it to accomplish, Lord, that hearts were open to you, ready to receive. We thank you, Lord, that as we go through the rest of our week, Lord, that we are meditating. We're letting the Holy Spirit be our teacher. We're going back over these texts and thinking about things that stood out to us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to be our best teacher. Thank you that that these are a people who honor you, who hunger and thirst for you, who truly want more of you, Lord. We thank you for every person who joined us online tonight or who's going to join us online later, Lord, that your word will just go out and do exactly what you have for it to do in them as well, Lord, that we look forward to, to more truths that we can glean from the life of Daniel here. And we're looking forward to a a very good service on Sunday, Lord. So we just thank you. The rest of our week is blessed that we are prepared and ready to come in here on Sunday and to receive from you, to give you all of our honor and all of our praise. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie